Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. Silence. Awkward silence. There's a name it was called Awkward Silence, right? Because it's awkward. How many know silence? I did that on purpose, by the way. Silence makes us uncomfortable. We are uncomfortable with silence. If there is too much silence in a conversation, it, it, it has those moments where we feel like we have to fill the space. Some of you can't handle silence, and so you fill it with a joke. You, there, there's something that has to be said. Some of you are talkers, and if there's too much silence, you, you have to talk and, 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 and fill the silence. In fact, uh, some Dutch scientists did some research on the study of awkward silences. Awkward silence. What is awkward silence? And uh, they concluded that good conversational flow actually has an effect on people's feelings of self-esteem, their feelings of belonging, their feelings as if they're, they're being approved of, and, uh, and in that way. And yet, just a brief four seconds... Four seconds of awkward silence can begin to make people question and, and struggle a little bit with their, with, with their self-worth, their self-esteem, their, their self-acceptance. It, it elicits, they can, this is what they say, uh, silences during a conversation are enough to elicit primal fears, activating anxiety, provoking feelings of incompatibility and exclusion. You ever felt that way before? awkward silences. In fact, they go on to write, conversational flow is associated with positive emotions and heightened sense of belonging, self-esteem, social validation, and consensus. In fact, this is what they found. Disrupting the flow by a brief silence produces feelings of rejection and negative emotions. Silence. We don't like silence. I think we can all agree that we've had those moments where there's been a period of silence and we felt that uncomfortableness in the relationship. We felt those times of, of things being uncomfortable. We've struggled with the insecurity of, of saying something and then somebody not responding at all and being left to wonder, well, how did they feel about that? Did they like that? Did they, did not, didn't they, did they not like what I said? Did I offend them in some way or, 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 or what's happening? And today it's not just the silence of, of conversational flow, but today it's the awkward silences of sending that text message or that DM and it being left unread. Or what's worse is when somebody has their, their red receipts and you see that it was read and there's no response. Right? I mean, it's not just in the conversational flow, but what about the flow of when you've sent that message? And, and, and it oftentimes finds, we, we oftentimes find ourselves going from the probable, well, here's probably what's going on, to then if it pro prolongs long enough, we start thinking of worst case scenarios. It goes to worst case, right? So you send that text 
and, it, and, and or you, you say something and it hasn't been returned. You send that text message, you send it, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you think, well, you know what? They're probably just too busy. Let me give them the benefit of the doubt. They're probably really busy right now. As soon as they have an opportunity, they're going to respond. And then, and then it goes on a little bit longer, and we say, well, you know, I don't know. Maybe they're just too tired, Right? They've got to be too tired. Maybe it got buried or something like that. They're just too tired. And then it goes on long enough and you think, well, maybe they didn't get it. Maybe they just didn't get the message. For me, if you get emails from me, sometimes you've got to check your spam. I don't know why, but randomly my emails will end up in somebody's junk mail. It just happens. And so then I'm left wondering, maybe that went in the junk mail, right? But we, then, we, then we go, then we think, well, maybe they didn't like what I said. Maybe they're offended by something, or maybe they just don't like it and they don't know how to respond, so they're just choosing not to respond because they really don't like what I said. And if you find yourself, sometimes you can find yourself getting angry. Can I say that in prayer, it's like that with God? Like, we've been talking about uh, listening to God. We've been talking about how do, we, how do we hear God? But sometimes there are moments where there's silence, and it can kind of go like that in our relationship with God. God, I'm, I'm praying. God, I'm seeking you. God, it's, but it's silent. Maybe you're, maybe you're too busy. Maybe my need is just not big enough for you. Maybe, maybe you're just too busy dealing with some other problems, some earthquake that happened around the world or some, you know, crisis and this just isn't big enough. Maybe, maybe that's why there's the silence or God, I wonder, I mean, did you hear me? Maybe you just didn't, aren't listening. Maybe you got, maybe you just didn't get it. Maybe, maybe you got buried. Maybe, maybe you're just disappointed in me. Did I sin? Did I do something wrong that you're not answering that you don't hear? Did I do something wrong? Do you not like me? Right? Anybody been there? You've had those periods where you started to question your relationship with God because there were certain things that were happening, certain prayers that went unanswered. You just seemed to seem like your prayers were hitting the ceiling and you're just thinking, what is going on? Right? I mean, sometimes there's reasons for that, right? I mean, you know, sometimes there, 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 there are reasons. Sometimes our, our, our requests are just wrong, right? Like, God, I really like a new Maserati. You know, how come it's not in my driveway? Right? I think we could laugh about those things. But, you know, we're not the only ones. Well-known people of faith experience this. People of faith throughout the Bible, people that, like David, were called a man after God's own heart, or, 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 or there were other people of faith that experienced times of God's silence. In fact, David wrote this in Psalm 22, 1 and 2, New Living Translation, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? You said, that's not David, that's Jesus. No, Jesus was quoting from David. This is Prophetic. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away from me when I groan for help? Every day I call on you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night I lift up my voice, but I find no relief. Seriously? You ever felt abandoned, my God? God, you're not listening. God, I cry out day and night, where are you? This is David, this is David. Man after God's own heart, David. This is David, little boy who showed up and, and wanted to feed his brothers and decided, hey, there's a giant. Nobody else is taking care of it. I might as well, after all, you know. God, Paul the lion, Paul the bear. Certainly he'll rescue me. David! Saul is slain his thousands. David is ten thousands. This is David! But David went through a period of time in his life where God was silent. Or so it seemed. Crying out, my God, my God. 
Every day I call on you, but you do not answer. You're not hearing me. You're not listening to me. Silence. And in those moments of abandonment, you feel the sense of confusion and wonder, and, and it kind of leaves you wondering, where, God, are you, even, are you even real? Do you even hear me? Do you even care? How about Job, right? I mean, early on in the book of Job, God's own words written down in the book of Job is that Job was a righteous man, right? Job was blameless and upright who feared God and turned away from evil. In fact, Job was close to God, so close to God that when God was silent, Job took notice. And in the beginning, Job was kind of okay with that. In the beginning, he, he, he makes some great statements of faith. But as you read through the book of Job, when you start getting on longer and he's dealing with people who don't understand the situation that he's in and then their helpfulness, they're trying to blame him to figure out a reason why all of these bad things have happened in Job's life and all of this loss and all the confusion and they're blaming. Job makes this statement in Job 31.5. If only someone would listen to me. If only someone would listen to me. In fact, few believers have chronicled their struggle with God more poignantly than C.S. Lewis. Anybody love C.S. Lewis? I like C.S. Lewis. You know, Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe, right? You know the Chronicles of Narnia? Anybody like the Chronicles of Narnia? Screw tape letters. Come on, there's some good things there. C.S. Lewis, though, he, he later in his life, he, he finally found the love of his life. And it was one of these romances that, that, that bloomed very early in his life. His wife's name was Joy, and they met married late in life. And, uh, and, and then, uh, as the relationship came, she got diagnosed with cancer. And she got very sick, and, 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 uh, and, and, and she went through a terrible season of illness before she died. And, and Lewis wrote about his feelings following uh, her death. And, and later on, his notebooks were put into a book called A Grief Observed in 1963. And, and it was probably his most telling, just as he just shared openly about his feelings. And one of the places that he shares about is a, a section called The Silence of God. And this is what he wrote. The Silence of God. No one ever told me that grief felt so much like fear. I'm not afraid, but the sensation is like being afraid. The same fluttering in the stomach and the same restlessness. <laughs> On the rebound, one passes into tears and pathos, maudlin tears. I almost prefer the moments of agony. They're at least clean and honest. And then he writes this. Meanwhile, where is God? When you're happy, so happy that you have no sense of needing him. If you remember yourself and turn to him with gratitude and praise, you will be so it feels welcomed with open arms. But go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain. And what do you find? A door slammed in your face, a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. And after that, silence. You may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence will become. Why is he so present, a commander, in our time of prosperity and so very absent a help in time of trouble? You ever been there? You ever felt that way before? 
You ever been so desperate in such a situation? Maybe it was a time of grief. Maybe it was a time of illness. Maybe it was a time of, of a prolonged pain or something that just seems like the circumstances in life and things are falling apart and you're crying out to God and it seems that, that, that rather than God being near, he's far away and silent. C.S. Lewis experienced this. Those in the in scripture experience this, the maddling thing is, is that, that you and I are, are conditioned to expect results. That, that if I invest in the right things, then, then I get back the right things, right? If I do the right things, I get the right things back. A direct relation between input and output. If I place my children in the right school, then they come out with the right education, if, if I do the right things at work and I, I do what I'm supposed to and I work hard, then the result of that is success. Then I, then I should experience the benefits of that. But how many know life doesn't always work like that? It's not the input and output. We cry out to God and nothing happens. We feel as if something is not quite right. And we begin to question, God, are you even real? Is this, is this faith? Is this, is this something that's even, that's even applicable? God, where are you in the silence? Where are you? And I want to encourage you that seldom is God's silence ever a permanent situation. Seldom is it ever a permanent situation. In fact, C.S. Lewis comes to a conclusion himself. And, and this is what he ends up coming to. He says this, I have gradually been coming to feel that the door is no longer shut and bolted. I, I, I was like the drowning man who can't help, who can't be helped because he clutches and grabs. And sometimes in those moments, that's where we are. We're so desperate that we're clutching and grabbing. And he says, I'm starting to feel that the door is open. I'm starting to feel as if God is speaking to me. I'm starting to feel, but in that moment, I couldn't because I was clutching and grabbing. And, 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 and that's oftentimes where we are. What's he clutching and grabbing at? What, what was missing when he at first perceived to be silence? And today, that's what I want to talk about. What happens when we call out to God? That's the, the penetrating question. What happens when we call out to God? Well, here's what scripture says, because sometimes our feelings deceive us, don't they? We can feel that way, but it doesn't mean that it is that way. And so what does the Bible say happens when we call out to God? What, what happens when we pray, when we call out to God? Well, the Bible says there's three things that happen. First, God hears. When we pray, God hears. He hears us. 1 John 5, 14 says this, and this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, that's the important phrase, according to his will, he hears us. God hears us. When we pray, whether spoken word, ritual, quiet anguish, God hears us. Our prayers ascend into God's presence, but that's not all. God not only hears us, but how many know God cares? God cares. God cares. He, he cares about us. In fact, the Bible says this. I want to read the Living Bible's translation of this. First uh, Peter 5, 7. Let him, meaning God, have all your worries and cares, for he's always thinking about you and watching everything that concerns you. God is concerned about you. Make no mistake about it. God cares about you. 
You may feel as if he's not listening, but friends, God cares about you. He hears and he cares about you and his empathy knows no bounds. And thirdly, probably the one that we'll push back against, probably the one that we wrestle with the most is this. God not only hears and cares, but God responds. God responds. In fact, uh, the Bible's emphatic on this. This one thing, Job, you know, who we talked about earlier, Job 33, 13, and 14, it says this, so why are you bringing a charge against him? Why say he does not respond to people's complaints? For God speaks again and again, though people do not recognize it. Oftentimes, we struggle to recognize how God is responding. We struggle in the areas of God's silence, not because God is not speaking or responding in some way to our need, but sometimes it's just the fact that we do not recognize how he is working and how he is moving. Some of you might push back. You might say, I don't understand. I mean, I prayed one day that I would not be late to work. I knew that, I, that there was a potential that I would not be late to work. I didn't think that was a big request for God. But somehow, on the way to work, I got a flat tire. And then I was late to work. God doesn't always answer. He doesn't always answer the way that we, we think he should. But he has a reason, and he does. He cares, he hears, he responds. Always. So what's happening in the silence. What's happening when God is not answering? What happens in the silence? Well, one reason might be is that you and I, and we've talked about this, you know, when we talked a couple of weeks ago about the still small voice of God, sometimes we're just too busy. Sometimes we don't take time enough to listen to God. We fill our ears with all kinds of noise and we fill our, our, our schedules with all kinds of activities and we say, well, I'm just too busy to read my Bible and I'm just too busy to take time to pray and I'm just too busy to, to, to come and, and be a part of worship and I'm just too busy to get alone with God. Well, then you're just too busy to hear from God. It's not that God isn't responding, but sometimes we are just too busy. We already talked about that, so I'm not going to keep going with that. You know, another way is possibly that our hearts are hardened. Perhaps we have unrepentant sin. It's not that God isn't speaking. God has already spoken and we've not responded. Perhaps God has already spoken and we continue to persist in our own way. And Psalm chapter 66, 18 says this. And, and let me tell you something. This isn't changing, by the way. This is God's word. He's spoken. He doesn't have to repeat himself over and over again. He's spoken. So until we start obeying, we may never get the answer that we want. Psalm 66. I just went off. Psalm 66, 18. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Some of you, God, you feel like God is silent because quite frankly, you keep cherishing sin in your heart and you want God to start approving of your sin and of your rebellion and of your lifestyle and you refuse to repent to God. So guess what? As long as your heart is hardened, God is not going to answer the way you want him to. He is holy and he is not going to approve of your sin. Yes, he is gracious and merciful and loving to those who repent. If I confess my sins, if I confess my sins, he is faithful to forgive. But I have to confess. I have to repent. So perhaps our struggle of God's perceived silence is simply because our hearts are not ready or our schedules are not ready and we're not open to listening. But that's not always the case. So before we go down the guilt train and, 
and, and start beating ourselves up, there are some other reasons that perhaps it feels as if God is silent. Consider the following. We might re- mistake a clear response from God for silence because, number one, we mistake his silence for no. How I many know sometimes God says no? I mean, let's be honest. We've all been kids, right? And we were asking our parents for things that they knew were not good for us. And we might have wanted it, but we didn't want to hear their no. Right? We didn't want to hear their no. Come on, I really want to do this. My friends are all doing it. I really want to do this. No. I don't think you're listening to me. No, you're not listening to me. I said no. Right? Sometimes God says no. Sometimes, sometimes his ways are higher than our ways. Sometimes he sees things. Sometimes there are things that, that are just plain no. Right? I mean, one of the examples of this, and I mean, it's a pretty clear example in Scripture. I kind of think it's kind of a funny thing because I can see myself being James and John in this situation. But Jesus is trying to pass through a town called Samaria. He's trying to go through Samaria. And they won't, they won't let him. They didn't like the Israelites. They wouldn't let him go through. And they were, they were just being difficult. And no, you're not going through. You're not doing this. And in Luke chapter 9, 54, I'm going to read from the message. I like the way it says it because it's kind of real. When the disciples, James and John, learned of it, they said, Master... Do you want us to call a bolt of lightning down from the sky and incinerate them? Has there ever been a situation or people that you felt like, you know, God, they're just really not listening. Can't we just incinerate them? You know, you got, you got like some, some, you got like a, oh, I'll just say, you got like a boss, you know, and he's just not listening and not doing anything. And you're just like, I keep asking him for these and he's just not getting it. And I just, I just don't, God, will you just incinerate him or remove him or something? You know, you got children, come on, parents, right? There are sometimes you're like, they're just not listening, God, just, you know. I mean, I kind of like Elisha, the prophet in the Old Testament, when the little kids came out and started calling him Baldy, you know, I kind of identify with that. You know, he prayed and a bear came out and mauled him. You know, my kids used to make fun of me because I was losing my hair. I told them, you better watch it. I'm like Elisha, I'm gonna call a bear. You're gonna get mauled, right? I mean, there are sometimes, and what does Jesus say? Jesus goes, of course not, Right? The next verse, verse 55, Jesus turned, of course not, don't do that. Sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes what we want is not the best thing. Sometimes what we want isn't the right way. And God sees a bigger picture. He just sometimes, he just says, no, right? No, 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 no. Sometimes we don't understand that no. We think we know more than God. I mean, isn't that really the sin problem? Really at the beginning, you shall be like God, knowing good and evil. Sometimes we think we know more than God. Can I be honest? Sometimes I think I know more than God. Right? Am I the only one? I see me too's. I'm not the only one. I mean, we just, we just think we can see it. We think our limited perspective is it. And we know it. And we don't like God's no. God, why do you got to work it out that way? I don't understand. I wanted it this way. We just don't. Sometimes we perceive the silence from God because we don't like God's no. Right? We just don't like his no. I mean... Think about Paul. Paul prayed. We we preached on this a couple of weeks ago. Paul was was praying and he was saying, I got this thorn in my flesh, right? I mean, this thing, this thing that just continued. He prayed, God, take it away. God, take it away. God, take it away. And what did God say? No. That's hard. I don't know what that was, but it was enough that it was driving Paul nuts. No. No. But it wasn't just no. What did God say? My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So although sometimes God says no, God will empower us in the no if we'll allow him. 
If we will allow God to work, we will find that there is grace in the no and that his grace is sufficient in the no for whatever it is we need. Not what we want, whatever it is we need. We need. How many know sometimes it's not just no, we mistake silence for God's not now? You ever had to wait on something? Come on. Right? I know, we, we haven't had Thanksgiving yet, but Christmas is coming, right? We gotta wait on something. You know, we, we, like, we, like the, we like the ordering. We like the Amazon Prime or I ordered it and the next day it's right there on my porch, right? I don't even have to go out to the store. I like that. Isn't that good? But man, what happens when we got, you know, like we have things that are backed up, you know, and, and my package or what I want is out in the Atlantic or Pacific Ocean somewhere or sitting in some crate or a box somewhere, right? Because the supply chain thing, right? That's a real thing, right? Man, I'm upset. Why do I got to wait? I don't want to wait, right? Sometimes we mistake God's silence because of his timing. And we're like, now. And God says, no, not now, but it's coming. Not now, but it's coming. But God, you said, I know, it's coming, but not now. Not now. And we don't like to hear that. We perceive it as, as silence. Why? Because we like instant gratification. We like to go to the ATM and we like to pull out our cash right now. Right? I need my cash right now. We, we like our instant messaging and text messaging and, and we like our, 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 our Spotify and Apple Music and I don't even have to go to the store to buy the album anymore and what is an album and what is, what is that? What is, what is a CD, right? It's digital, right? I get it now. I want my downloads now. That new movie that came out, I don't want to have to go to the movie theater. I want to be able to watch it under my device right now. So when God says, no, not now, we go, God, you're not hearing me. Silence. You're not hearing me. We don't like the waiting. We don't like the waiting. The willingness to wait in prayer and let God's timetable unfold is behind the message translation of Romans chapter 8, verses 22 to 25. And it says this, waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We're enlarged in the waiting. The waiting causes us to grow. There are some times where we're just not ready for what God wants to do or what he's told us he's going to do. And the waiting enlarges us so that we're ready when God says now. God has a purpose in the waiting. There's a purpose in his waiting. Dallas Willard writes this. He says this, we may have so little clarity on what a word from God should be like and so little competence in dealing with it that such a word would only add to our confusion and even when it would otherwise be entirely appropriate and helpful. Sometimes we're not ready for God's answer. We're not ready for God to, to, to speak or tell us or download to us all of the things. We just are not ready for it. And God knows that. And so in his silence, sometimes it's so that he can put us in a position to allow our soul to grow. To allow us to grow. You see, in the waiting, silence doesn't mean that God's not listening. In fact, Psalm 18, 6, the new living. But in my distress, I cried to the Lord. Yes, I prayed to my God for help. And he heard me from his sanctuary. And my cry to him reached his ears. Proof of this is that, that God had promised Abraham's children 
that even though they were going to Egypt, that one day they would come back and they would have a land. He promised it to Abraham. He promised it to Isaac. He promised it to Jacob. He promised it to their children and their generations. Yet they sat in the waiting in Egypt for 430 years before God acted. 430 years of waiting. Of waiting. Think about it. Moses had God's call on him. And you can see that he, he felt that call. Even early on while he was still in Egypt. And, and, and here he was, God's hand upon him was, was, was had an opportunity to be raised in Pharaoh's house. And, and yet at the same time be nurtured by his Hebrew mother. Had the opportunity to have both ways and all of the resources and the, the power and, and all of that. And, and Moses felt, I am, I can be the one to deliver my people. And, and when, when an Egyptian slave was mistreating one day, he couldn't take it any longer. And he went out and he killed that Egyptian master slave master and then the next day when his own people were fighting he tried to get involved and they rejected him and he realized that it got out that he had killed somebody and 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 he went off and and that was it right off into the wilderness and how long was he in the wilderness before God renewed his call 40 years 40 years of waiting Sometimes there's waiting. Why? Because God had to do some things to prepare Moses' heart. David anointed to be king of Israel, slaying the giant Goliath and, 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 and marrying the king's daughter. Certainly, this was the pathway to God's plan until a jealous Saul, which sparks a lot of the silence in the caves where he's saying, God, where are you? God, where are you? He's in the cave. God's saying, not now. Wait a minute, I, I was anointed by Samuel as a young boy. I wasn't even in the house. My family forgot about me, but you didn't, God. And what happened now? Have you forgotten about me now? Silence, waiting. No, David, I'm preparing you. No, David, it's not time yet. It's not time yet. Sometimes the silence is God's waiting. But Philippians 1, 6 reminds us of this, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Let me tell you something. God is not done. You might be in the waiting, but he's not done. And you can put your faith and have confidence that God will finish what he has started. Ooh, come on, that's a good word. Somebody need to hear that today. But sometimes, sometimes there's a different thing. Sometimes it is what's called deep calling out to deep. Sometimes God's silence pushes us to a deeper place. Let me, let me explain what I mean. There's, there's the Psalms of Asaph. The, Asaph was a psalm writer. We oftentimes want to attribute every psalm to David. But David wasn't the only one who wrote psalms. Moses wrote psalms and Solomon wrote psalms and, and, and David wrote a lot of them. But also there, was, there were these, these songwriters by the name of Asaph. And Asaph writes this in Psalm 42, 1 and 3. As the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. Right? Y'all want to sing as the deer, don't you? As the deer panteth for 
Right, the water for my soul longeth after thee. Right? We all want to go back there, right? So that's where the song, that's where that song comes from. And he says, My soul thirsts for the living God. My tears, here, here it switches. My tears have been my food day and night. While men say to me all day long, Where is your God? Silence. Where is your God? Where is your God? I'm longing, God. I'm longing for you as dear. Pants for the water. My soul longs for you. My soul thirsts for you. But where are you, God? Where are you? They're, they're mocking me. My tears are mocking me. They're my food day and night. They're mocking me. Where are you, God? Where are you? Grief and confusion and pain. The silence seems to be crushing. And then in verse 5, he says this. Why are you downcast, oh my soul? Sometimes you got to talk to your soul. Right? Sometimes you got to talk to your soul. Why are you so downcast, oh my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. And then he says, my soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you. And he writes this, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. Well, what is this? The, the psalmist comes to a place to say there is no silence. There is an answer coming from God. But that answer is coming to the very deep places, the very deep recesses. And I've got to begin to, to dig down deeper. I've got to begin to go down deeper because there's a well of something down there. But I've got to get down deeper into what it is. There's a season where deep is calling out to deep. Kind of as Thomas Kelly phrases it, a time of going down to the recreating silences. Going down to the recreating silences. Perhaps the, it's not the silence we're encountering that we seek, but rather a, a pregnant pause, right? A pregnant prompting us to engage in personal reflection and the, the deepest of answers, the most profound responses that be, can be given and received. There's an article in a magazine. It's called Fast Company Magazine, and, and, uh, and it, it was highlighting a chess master. Anybody like chess? I'm not good at chess. But if, if you like chess and a chess master and the teaching style of a chess master. And so the chess master is Bruce Pandolfini. And I don't know if I even said his name right because I don't even know who he is. But I really love the article and I like what he said. He, he says this. He work, discussing how he works with students. And this is what he said. My lessons consist a lot of silence. I listen to other teachers and they're always talking. But I let my students think. If I do ask a question and they don't get the right answer, I rephrase the question and wait, I never give the answer. And then he says this, most of us really don't appreciate the power of silence. So the most effective communication between student and teacher, between master players, takes place during the silent periods. He might be a great master chess teacher, but we've got a master teacher that sometimes is teaching us something in the silence. Something deeper in the silence. God's apparent silence is because he's the master teacher. And when you and I go through seasons where God's not answering quickly on the surface, it's perhaps because God is interacting with us so that our, our prayers are moved to a deeper place and a deeper level of trust in him, right? It's trust and obedience, and dependence. God's silence is all about taking us deeper into a trust relationship with him. How many of you know that when you trust somebody and you're in a deep relationship with somebody, then you can handle the silence. You can sit in the same room with somebody that you love and there can be silence and you don't question the relationship because of the depth of the relationship.
Some of us question our relationship with God and struggle in our relationship with God quite simply because our relationship with God has not developed to the deep place that God desires it to be. And through the silence, God is wanting us to press in deeper so that we can learn to depend and trust in him. You see, it's in the silent times that I get introduced to sin that I need to confront. It's in the silent times that I recognize a pattern of behavior that I need to break. It's in the silent times that I gain insights into who I am, insights that I didn't know before about myself. It's in the silent times that I discover a depth of relationship with God that I've never experienced before. The silence. Teacher Kathleen Norris allows her students to make noise uh, all they want, and then she calls them to make silence. She says, I, she called them to make silence. And, 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 and reflecting on the experience, she, she, she talked to her, her pupils, and, 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 and she asked them, what, making silence, what, what, what was it? What did this mean to you? What, what happened in that? And, and one of the students said they felt as though they were waiting for something. Kind of like on Christmas, they're waiting for something. One wrote this, silence is me sleep waiting to wake up. Perhaps the most profound observation come from a, uh, a little girl. And, and I, man, I'm like, wow. And, 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 and she said this, silence reminds me to take my soul with me wherever I go. Silence, the deep things, right? The deep things. God, silence allows the space for God to speak beyond just the answers that we seek. And, and it's those deep areas. Frederick uh, uh, Buckner writes this, it's no surprise that the Bible uses hearing, not seeing as the predominant image for the way human beings know God. Hearing, not seeing. Hearing, not seeing. Right? Ears to hear. Sometimes we need ears to hear. Ears that go beyond our own. In early Christianity, there was an ancient desert tradition Alan Jones writes about men and women entering a literal desert that they embrace as called, what they called a desert of the spirit, a, a place of silence, waiting in temptation, a place of revelation, conversion, and transformation. And according to the desert tradition, empty spaces such as the desert were actually full, or for in the deadening silence of such experiences, people were known to be reborn. Isn't that what Jesus did? Isn't that what the Holy Spirit led Jesus where in the beginning of his ministry? Where did he lead him? To the wilderness. 40 days where, where he experienced silence but temptation. He experienced and he came out on the other side full of the Holy Spirit. And miracles were being done. And teaching in the power and the authority of God's word. And then there was another place where God led him. A place in a garden where God began to lead him into a place of silence. And, and, and into the place of silence and barrenness of the cross. And at the cross he, he quoted from what we read earlier. That David had written so many centuries before. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And for the first time, in the first time, the Trinity experienced a disruption. A disruption in their connection and their relationship. A disruption. And yet in the midst of that disruption, there was a silent reminder as of what C.S. Lewis in, in, in The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe, the deeper magic, so to speak, that causes death itself to work backwards. And Larry Crabb writes this. 
He, he writes this, Jesus screamed agony, God, where are you? And God seemed to say nothing, but deep was calling to deep. And in his reconciling the world to himself, Jesus heard the voice of God in the very depths of his heart. I can only imagine and wonder what God's silence holds for you and me. See, God's silence doesn't mean the same thing as a person's silence. God has far better reasons for his silence, even if he chooses not to share those reasons with us. Worship team, will you come? And I promise I've got one more story to land the plane, <laughs> to bring it home. Alfred Warden experienced something only six other people have ever experienced. For a period of time in his life, he was the most isolated human being ever, 2,235 miles away from any other person. That's like standing in, in the USSR, standing in, in Russia, and having nobody else in that country at all. You're the only person. And you're standing in the center and not a human being at all. How do you get that far away from other people? Well, he flew on the Apollo 15 mission to, to the moon. <laughs> Originally, he traveled with two other astronauts. And, uh, and those two other astronauts then descended on the moon's surface. They were gathering rocks, and, 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 and someone had to stay aboard to command the module that was orbiting the moon. And so he stayed on the module that was orbiting the moon, and he, he found himself, as he was orbiting, on the backside of the moon, a place where he couldn't even see the earth, and a place where communication between himself and Houston ceased. He was in a moment of utter silence, further away than any other human being had ever been before. A quarter million miles away. His feeling of isolation wasn't based on that, that distance alone, but that silence. He knew he had a job to do. And so he focused on the orders that had been given him before the blackout. He trusted NASA had built a spacecraft well and his fellow astronauts had set the, the correct trajectory and the, the earth was still there even though he couldn't see it. And in the midst of his patience, simply acting not on communication happening right away, but on communication that he knew he had been given and orders he had been given, he simply did what he was supposed to do. And as he waited, he saw something amazing happen. You get up early in the morning and sometimes on a clear day, you can begin to see the sun rise. Sometimes you can see the sun descend and the, the moon rise. But he had an opportunity to see the earth rise as he got on the other side. <laughs> and he described the experience as glorious. Friends, there are times where it seems that God is silent and we're in the waiting. But if we will just hang on and we will hang on to his word and the instructions in his word, and we will hang on to the promises in his word. And we'll hang on to what his word describes as his character. And that God is faithful even when we are faithless. If we will hang on in those moments, we will discover something deeper in our relationship with God. Something glorious. Something glorious. So you might be in a place 
where there is silence. But friends, you've got you've to trust the direction that God has promised in his word. Somebody once wrote this. I believe in the sun when it does not shine. I believe in God when he is silent. I know the sun is up there on the darkest of days. When the darkness veils Jesus' face, I rest on his unchanging grace. Are you in the silence this morning? Are you in the silent time? Are you going through something and it just seems like God is silent? You can't, it doesn't seem like your prayers are being answered. You can't seem to hear God. Can I pray with you this morning? Because I want you to trust the Lord. Because if you will trust in the waiting, you will see that God is faithful. And you will find yourself someday, sometime down the road going, wow, look what God has done. Wow, look what God has done. Let's bow our heads for a moment. I just want to ask you, do you need prayer this morning? Are you just struggling, maybe in grief or maybe, in, maybe in, in pain, maybe in a diagnosis, maybe in a situation in your marriage or a situation at work? It just doesn't seem like it's getting any better. You're crying out and you, you kind of feel like the psalmist. Where are you? You feel like Job. Somebody listening to me? And you're just struggling right now in your relationship with God and you need prayer today. Will you just slip up your hand, Pastor? Will you pray for me in the silence? Will you pray for me? Yeah, thank you. Father, right now, you know what each person is experiencing and going through. But Jesus, we know that, that you finish what you start. You, you complete what you start. And, and sometimes, Lord, it's, it's in the waiting. Sometimes it's in the, in the pressing into the deeper things. And if it's no, then God, let us be in a place where we can accept your no. Let us get to that place, Holy Spirit, where you are just searching our hearts. And, and Lord, I just pray for trust those that are in the, in the midst of it, that God, we would just be in that place where we can just trust you. Thank you, Jesus, for the times when you speak to us. But Lord, we want to be grateful and thankful for the times when you are silent. Because we know that it's not that you're not hearing us. It's not that you don't care. It's not that you're not responding. But that you are wanting us to grow so that we can experience the glorious that you have for us on the other side. We bless you, Jesus. Touch these ones today. Be near with your presence, I pray, in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.